reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. I heard somebody come in behind me. I thought, boy, the singing really picked up. I didn't know who it was. I know it wasn't, well, it wasn't me. But uh, I thought, man, what a blast. And I didn't know, I didn't know Fred was going to be here tonight, so it's great to see him. Glad that he's here. Appreciate Brother Fred and his family. Very grateful for them and all the great work that they do. We're thankful to have a part in the work that they're involved in in Iowa. And Fred does a great job. He and Dorothy are great servants, and we appreciate and love them very, very much. We're also grateful to have Jared. If it weren't for Fred and Dorothy, there would be no Jared. <laughs> and we're glad to have Jared. We're going to be talking tonight about perfect peace. And I want to call your attention to the book of Isaiah. I want you to look with me, if you would, for a moment or two. Isaiah chapter, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Before we begin, as always, we appreciate your presence tonight. If you're visiting, we want you to come back. We want you to know how much we love and appreciate you coming our way. We're very thankful that you have chosen to honor us with your presence, and we encourage you to come back. I know that we say this often, but we really mean it. If you are looking for a church home, please consider the work here. We'd love to have you. We had about 20 or so people gone this morning at camp, and Jared was there. I know that we had a number of our young people along with some adults with them. They had a great weekend, and we're glad to have them back, and we pray that God will continue to bless all of our young people. In our lesson tonight, I want to talk about a subject that if every person in the world would be honest, they would admit they are looking for something that ultimately can be found. It is called perfect peace. It might be the case that you're here tonight and maybe your life is less than ideal. Quite frankly, you do not have perfect peace abiding in your life. What I want us to do is to look at what the Bible has to say with regard to peace, and specifically perfect peace. I want to begin our study by asking... How many of you know what I'm holding in my hands? It's a prescription bottle, actually two prescription bottles. They are different prescriptions. My name is on each of these bottles. The prescriptions have a very specific purpose. A good doctor can analyze whatever problems we face in life. Some of the problems that we face, obviously, are not as grave as others. But a good doctor, a good physician, has the ability to identify the problem and in some cases prescribe a specific prescription that will help with whatever problem we're facing in life. What I want to suggest to you tonight is that God has provided for us what I would call 
to be a prescription for life. Maybe we've never thought about it this way, but I want to submit to you that your name is on this bottle. It's called God's Word. And God has the antidote. He has the prescription, if you please, for whatever you're facing in life. There is a a lot to be said for understanding God's Word, being able to discern and rightly divide God's truth. Just like a good physician has the ability to identify the problem and then make the necessary adjustments to life, prescribing certain prescriptions. If you know the Word of God and you understand what you're dealing with and what your problem is, then you can go to God's Word, can't you? You can find the prescription for whatever is ailing you. So what I want to do tonight is talk for a minute or two about this idea of perfect peace. Isaiah, as you well know, wrote some seven centuries before Jesus came to earth. Isaiah was one of the great prophets of God in the Old Testament era. In verse 3 of chapter 26, I want you to listen to what Isaiah said many, many centuries ago. And note, if you would, the relevance that it has to our lives, particularly in the realm of perfect peace. Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. For in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. And let me just pause there. If you listen to what Isaiah is saying, What he is telling us is that when we learn to trust God, when we seek Him, when our eyes are focused upon Him, He uses the expression, whose mind is stayed on you. The prophet is telling us that when our lives are focused on God, when God is central to life, then we enjoy what he calls perfect peace. Now, interestingly, in verse 3, the word perfect in our, in our text is really the same word in the Hebrew as peace. So what Isaiah is saying is this, you will keep him in peace, peace. They translated, the translators rendered this word, this word perfect. But really in the original, it is peace. And what Isaiah is saying is, to those who trust in God, whose mind is stayed on God, He will give them peace. But not just peace, but peace, peace. Now the word peace carries with it the idea, as a matter of fact, when we talk about this word, it carries with it the idea of completeness, wholeness, prosperity, tranquility, contentment. Now I want to ask you tonight, 
Do you think people in our world tonight are looking for those things? They are, aren't they? And yet many of us would, we would acknowledge that there are a lot of folks that are looking for these things in life. But sadly, they're looking in the wrong places and in many instances among the wrong people. And what the prophet is saying is that God will keep us in perfect peace or in peace, peace, if we focus our lives upon Him. What I want us to do for just a few moments or two is first of all talk about some of the problems that we face in life. And you would agree that there are a variety of trials that we face in this life. And whether or not we have time to get through the entirety of this lesson, I really don't know. But I think this is a needed lesson because many of us, many of us in the church, we want peace. We want perfect peace, don't we? We want to live in tranquility and we want to have contentment and satisfaction in life. And there are many, many of us who just don't have it. And so I want to begin by talking about some of the things that we face in life. And the first thing that comes to mind are the foes that we face in this life. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, and you well know that David talked on occasions of the difficulties and the trials and tribulations that he faced in life. And David talked about those that were after him. He talked about those who were his enemies. And we're going to look at some of the writings of David in a moment or two. In the New Testament, I can't help but think about the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote his final letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talked about a man by the name of Alexander the coppersmith, and he said, He did me much evil or much harm. And he said, May the Lord repay him according to his work. I'm not sure exactly what Alexander did to the Apostle Paul. Whatever it was, he encroached upon his life. As a result of that, Paul marked him, encouraging Timothy and others to be on guard. And so there are times in life when we face a number of foes, a number of individuals that, that have it out for us. And sadly, sometimes they can be among our own family members. You remember in Psalm 55, David talked about one that was a very close acquaintance with him. And he said that this man literally gutted him. And you can read Psalm 55 this week if you have the time. But then I think about the fears that we have in life. And there are many of us that have any number of fears in life. Job, you'll recall, talked about how his, his greatest fears were realized in chapter 3 of his book. But I want to call attention to what David said in Psalm 56. Listen to David in the long ago. David said in verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, and now note what he said, I will trust in you. Really what we need to understand is that trust is a key to enjoying perfect peace. 
When our hearts and minds are centered or focused on God, when our lives are what they ought to be, then ultimately we can rise above whatever we're facing in this life. So David talked about his fears. I think also about over in, well, in Psalm 27. Listen again to David. In verse 1 he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then in verse 3 he said, Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. And then down in verse 5 he said, In the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And so some of the things that we face in this life, many of us, we faced foes in life. We have had any number of fears that have come our way from day to day. And then I think about the troubles, the trials that come, sometimes with regard to our own family. Many times we have family members who are sick, some are terminal. As a result of that, that weighs heavily upon us, doesn't it? Do you remember in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus? And they said in John chapter 11, they sent word to the Lord. And here's what they said. He whom you love is sick. When you begin to read the Scriptures, it stands, it, it's apparent that the Lord Jesus was very close to Mary and Martha and to their brother Lazarus. They had a very special relationship. So they send word to Jesus and they want Him to know, look, the one that you love deeply, He's sick. Now we know that in the context, Jesus, Jesus makes that journey to their home. Martha meets Him first on the way. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Mary later said the very same thing to Jesus. There are times in life when we struggle because our family members, our friends are sick. They have illness or disease. Some because of the gravity of their health situation. Their time is limited here upon earth. And so we reach out to others as they reached out to the Lord Jesus. I mentioned a moment ago the fears that we face in life. Probably one of the greatest fears that we all have is death. And you remember the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 2 talked about how Jesus, that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he talked about those who through the fear of death were living in bondage. And yet David understood something about death and the fact that we would all ultimately walk that veil. And David would say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. And so words of comfort and exhortation. Now this morning, I mentioned something about the resurrected body. And I know that there are a couple of folks that had some questions regarding the body that is resurrected. We understand, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I just want to throw this in so that those who may have had some questions maybe can 
think more deeply upon this subject. But you remember in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, Solomon talked about death. And Solomon said that when death occurs, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. The spirit, however, returns to God. Now, the physical body is ultimately placed in the cemetery. But what Jesus said in His teaching while on earth is that there is coming a day in which the body, this physical body that gives way to death, this body will one day be raised from the dead. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When the body is raised from the dead, the spirit that is gone to be with God will be reunited with that body when the Lord Jesus comes. You remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the apostle Paul talked about the Lord would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. He said the dead in Christ shall rise first. He said that they would meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. And then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, right? When the Lord Jesus comes, both the righteous and unrighteous will be raised. At the Lord's second coming, that spirit that has resided in the Hadean realm will be reunited, as I said a moment ago, with that body. The body, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is going to be transformed. It's going to be an immortal body, an incorruptible body. And I said this morning, it will be free from death and disease. So I would invite you to read those passages and examine them. And I did point out this morning that sometimes we ask the question, sometimes people ask, well, what's the resurrected body going to look like? All I can tell you is it will be like the Lord's. There are some things that we're just not privileged to know fully or completely. But by faith we believe that what the Lord said will ultimately come to pass. So read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, John chapter 5 and other verses, and you will, I think, be aided in your study with regard to this subject. Now another common trial or problem that we face in this life has to do with failure. How many of us have disappointed ourselves because maybe we haven't, we haven't risen to the point where we want to be in life? Are there times in life when we have shortcomings and failures? Yes. Are there times in life when we understand this is what God wants and we rather than meeting that expectation, come far short? Well, yes. Probably one of the greatest examples of failure that comes to mind in Scripture is Peter. Peter was a great, he was a great man of God, wasn't he? And Peter was a guy that was all in when it came to serving the Lord and following the Lord. He, he had the opportunity to spend some three, three and a half years with Jesus. He observed the great miracles that he did. He heard that message time and again. It resonated with Peter. 
When the Lord Jesus announced that he would be departing from them, you remember the apostle Peter spoke up and said, basically, look, everyone else may deny you, but I want you to know, Lord, I'm going to stand by you. I'm willing to die if the need arise. Well, we know that when push came to shove, what happened? Peter blatantly denied the Lord. And we read in Matthew's account of how he wept bitterly after having denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So he failed. And there are times in life when we fail. And these are just some of the things that we face from day to day in this life. And then I think about our frailties. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, speaking of God, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The human, the human well, really, I guess we would say human existence is fraught with the frailties of life, isn't it? We might think that we're Superman, but when it's all said and done, we understand we're not. We might think that we're strong and that we can outlive, outrun, whatever, any and everything, but the bottom line is we're human beings. We get sick. We face illness. We're diagnosed with disease. We face death. Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 20, God sent Isaiah the prophet to the king Hezekiah. And God said to Hezekiah in the long ago, here's what you need to do, set your house in order. He said, because you're going to die and not live. And what did Hezekiah do? Did what many of us would do, didn't he? The Bible says he immediately turned his face to the wall and prayed to God. And God ultimately added 15 years to his life. And then one final thing that I think about with regard to the struggles that come our way from day to day in life, how many times do we battle the future? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said in the context of worry and anxiety. In Matthew chapter 6, I want you to read this with me. Jesus said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now you tell me how many of us struggle sometimes with what may or may not happen in the future. We're worried and anxious about this and about that. And really, I think what Jesus is saying is, you have more on your plate today than you can say grace over. You don't need to be worried about tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow. You just worry about today. And yet, what do we find ourselves doing? Worrying about tomorrow. And so, these are some of the things that we face in life. Now, we're talking about perfect peace. Or as Isaiah said, we're talking about peace, peace. What I want to do is share with you some verses that I think help to amplify, first and foremost, the need to trust God. When we learn to trust God, 
the natural byproduct of that is peace. So let me call attention. Look over in Psalm 34 with me, if you would. Listen to what David said in Psalm 34. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He heard me. And then listen now to what he says. And delivered me from all my fears. Drop down and look at verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Now listen, blessed is the man who does what? Who trusts Him. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want, there is no lack to those who fear Him. Now wasn't that what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6? That if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what did He say about all the things that are necessary for life? He said, all these things shall be added unto you. That's exactly what David is saying here. Now we talk about perfect peace. This desire to live in peace or tranquility or contentment. To have a serene life. Well, what David is saying is, and what Isaiah is saying, and what Jesus said, the key to that is learning to trust in the Lord. Do you remember in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Now listen again to what he said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is, with the entirety of your heart. With your whole heart, you're trusting in God. Do you trust God with your whole heart? Have you put your trust in God to the extent that whatever comes your way, you understand, I have a God who's there to meet my needs and who ultimately will supply what I need in this life. Now, I mentioned Psalm 56. Look again at Psalm 56. Before you turn to Psalm 56, I want to just share one other verse with you. In verse 4 of Psalm 34, listen to what the psalmist said, and you might want to mark this verse. David said, I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I read that a moment ago, but I wanted to emphasize or reemphasize it again. Because David is saying what Isaiah said. I sought the Lord. Did God hear me? Yes, He did. When we put our trust in Him, when we seek Him, when our mind, as Isaiah said, is stayed on Him, then what, what do we enjoy? Perfect peace. So now look at Psalm 56 again. Here's what David said, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. 
In God I will praise His Word. In God I put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Now you think about David here saying, look, whatever fear I may have, I have the perfect antidote for that. And what is that antidote? It is Almighty God and it is His Word. Drop down and look at verse 8 if you would. David said, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now I want you to think about how many times in life we've shed tears. Don't you know that David, a man after God's own heart, shed tears? When his son Absalom died, you want to read a gut-wrenching story, read about the death of Absalom. And note, note if you would, the disposition of David on that occasion. What David is saying here is, look, when we shed tears, it is as if God has a bottle. And he takes those teardrops and he places them in that bottle. And it's like they're placed in a book. Listen to him. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you think God knows when we shed tears in life? When we're hurting because someone has hurt us? When we're hurting because a family member or a friend is sick or ill or facing death? Do you think that, that God is mindful when we get the sobering news that, look, things don't look good. And in all probability, you're not going to make it. Does God know about that? Yes, He does. Does God make a, as we would say, a mental notation of that? Sure He does. God knows, doesn't He? And so that's what David is saying. Now listen to the continuation. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know. Because God is for me. Look, it might be the case that you can't come up with one person who would stand with you in your hour, hour of trial. It might be that in your life you have no allies. I'm talking about when, when things get really tough, when life is swirling out of control and things are, are weighing heavily upon you. Maybe you have some people that you talk to. Maybe you have some people that, that you maybe bounce around some of the things you're dealing with, but you never really... You never really confide in that individual because you just don't feel like you can trust them. Well, let me tell you what, there's a God in heaven who will listen. And there's a God in heaven of whom David wrote, and he said, this is what I know. What is it, David? That God is for me, that God is on my side. Is that encouraging? Yes, it is. Will that give me, as Isaiah said in the long ago, will that give me a sense of perfect peace, of peace, peace? Yes, it will. And then, note if you would what he said in verse 10. In God I will praise His Word. In the Lord I will praise His Word. In God I put my trust. I will not be afraid. And then he asks this question. What can man do to me? Look, when God's on our side... When we put our trust in God, when it's all said and done, really, who else do we need? We have everything that we need, don't we? Now, I mentioned Matthew chapter 6. I want you to turn again to Matthew chapter 6. 
You remember in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, of course, talked about some of the very things that we, that we deal with in life. And you remember in verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, cling to the one, despise the other. He said, You cannot serve God and mammon. And what he's saying is that sometimes, if we're not careful, our lives, our affections are divided, aren't they? Now, if we're talking about trust and we think about what David has said and what Isaiah has said, Isaiah and David have both emphasized the importance of doing what? Focusing on God, trusting God, trusting Him with our whole heart. Because that's what Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jesus is saying you can't have a divided heart and enjoy the blessings of serenity and contentment in life. You can't have that perfect peace. And so in verse 25 and following, Jesus deals with the problem that we all deal with probably more often than not. It's called worry and anxiety. And so in verse 28, Jesus simply asked the question, why do you worry? And there are a lot of folks who have divided affections. Their, their heart is divided, and so they have, a lot of, they have a lot of anxieties and worries in life. And yet Jesus said in verse 25, listen to him, do not worry. Look at verse 31, do not worry. Look at verse 34, do not worry. Jesus said in the long ago, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The answer is a resounding yes. He's simply saying, look, if God takes care of the birds of the air, do you not think He's going to take care of you? Somebody made in His own image and likeness? The crown of His creation, do you not think that He's going to care for you? So now look at what He said. Why do you worry? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Look at verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Does God know what we need? Yes, He does. So now look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what did He promise us? He said, all these things shall be added to you. Is Jesus not saying exactly what David said? Is He not emphasizing what the prophet Isaiah said? Yes, He is. He's saying we've got to learn to trust Him, to put our mind on Him, to focus on Him in life. And then turn, if you would, turn over to the book of Hebrews. Our time is short. Well, I'll tell you what, before we look at Hebrews, look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then listen to him in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In the original, here's what Paul is saying. It is as if God has a citadel of guards surrounding us. And Paul is saying, look, when we put our trust in God, we can enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because He is literally guarding us. 
Well, who has that benefit or blessing? A child of God does. Maybe one of the reasons we don't have the peace that passes all understanding is because we haven't learned to trust Him completely, fully, wholly in life. And then before our time's gone, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And listen, if you would, to the writer there, encourage those saints in the first century. In verse 15, he said, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has the ability to sympathize and empathize with us in life, does He not? Because He was made as we are. But then look at verse 16. Because of who we are and because of whose we are. The writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer here is saying that those of us who trust God, who understand that we have a sympathetic high priest, that we can come before His throne and we can literally tell Him what's on our mind, what is burdening our hearts, what is weighing us down from day to day. We don't have to, we don't have to hold back. We don't have to be reserved. But we can simply state the case as it is acknowledging what we're dealing with, with the expectation that God is going to be there to aid us, to help us, to give us the mercy and grace that we need to get through the trial or the tribulation or whatever it is we're facing in life. So, if we simply acknowledge what the writer said here, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, is it not the case that if we follow what the writer here said, that we will enjoy, as Isaiah said, perfect peace? That we can have peace, peace. Yes, that's the answer. One final verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. If you don't have these verses underlined, I would encourage you to underline them in your Bible. To memorize them, to remember them because... I said a moment ago, a doctor has the ability to diagnose the problem and then to fit the prescription with the problem. Whatever problem, whatever you're facing in life, whatever ailment it might be, to be able to understand, okay, here is a go-to passage. I can go to this passage, I can go to that passage, and I'm going to find encouragement or counsel or comfort or whatever. So listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 7. Read it with me. Look at verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. One of the problems that we have in life is humility, isn't it? How many times do we fail to acknowledge the greatness of God, the vastness of His power? How many times, how many times do we fail to go before His throne and ask Him for help because we're just too proud? I can handle it on my own. I don't need anybody helping me. Look, we all need help, don't we? I don't know anyone that doesn't need God's help. So listen to him in verse 7. Casting all your care, all, A-L-L, -L, casting all your care on Him. And then listen to this. It's almost as if the writer invokes us 
to cast our cares on Him and then emphasizes a great truth. For He cares for you. Let me tell you what. There is a God in heaven who cares for you. And there is a God in heaven who wants you to enjoy perfect peace in this life. Do you believe that? I do. Now, maybe the real question is, how many of us genuinely enjoy perfect peace? Or as Isaiah said, we have peace, peace. When I, when I think about what Isaiah said, I can't help but think about the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. When he talked about the grace of God, and it's almost as if he were piling on words to emphasize the vastness of the grace of God. He talked about the exceedingly abundant grace that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. What Isaiah is saying is that we have exceedingly abundant peace, peace where? In God. So what's the key? Listen again to what Isaiah said. Go back with me again and look at Isaiah chapter 26 in closing. And listen to what the prophet wrote seven centuries, seven centuries before Jesus ever came to earth. And ask yourself, do I enjoy this blessing in my life? And if the answer is no, then the question is, why not? Listen to him. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you trust God? Is your mind, as Isaiah said, stayed on him, focused on him? If so, he will keep you in peace, peace. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you can't really have peace in your life without Christ, can you? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that those who have been justified by faith, by that system of faith, enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How then do they derive that peace? Well, they obey the gospel. They believe Jesus to be the Son of God, repent of their sins, confess His name. They're buried with Him in baptism. As Peter announced in Acts 2 verse 38, God then adds people to the church, Acts 2 47. And the beauty of that is that if we live a faithful life, God will one day crown us in heaven, James 1, verse 12. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, and maybe you don't have peace in your life, maybe you don't have the perfect peace that Isaiah talked about, and maybe you're struggling and hurting, maybe your life's out of control and you need the prayers of the church, it may be because of sin, it might be because of something else, and you just need people praying for you. Well, as a family, we'd be happy to do that with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.